Well, good morning. It's good to be here. It feels like we were just here, doesn't it? You know, some of us, we were just like we spent the night here or something. Except it's raining. That's weird. Thank you uh, for, you know, sending me off with the rain so that I have something to remember you with. <laughs> Actually, I always see the rain here. The sun was amazing. Thank you for the sunshine. I had like days in a row. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, well, um, yesterday we spent some time on a, uh, just going over keep your love on and uh, I don't think there's any books left but um, you can always order them but it is you know very much a, a a key to creating a kingdom culture is really learning how to love well protect relationships well so we spent um, the bulk of the day yesterday going over a bunch of that how many of you were here, were here for that yes well thanks for that that was that was fun and um, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, we got some stuff going on that I'll let Pete tell you about. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at your phone right now and you're trying to pretend like you're reading your Bible, you can just go ahead and hashtag somebody and, um, you know, say something that you heard today. Here's what I want to talk to you about today. Um, I know that that you know how important culture is and how important it is that we that we pay attention to the um, the force that is that is happening around us, whether we realize it or not. I mean, there's there's so many things about Britain that are culture, you know, and that you, that you are, you know, you're, you're very proud of your culture, you know, you're very like, well, that's very British. You know, somebody somebody came up to me the other day and uh, they were giving me a compliment. You know, and they later said, I wanted to say that was amazing, but I said, not bad. <laughs> yeah. And he later says, it's so British. It's so British to say that. Like, it is because a whole bunch of folks do that. Yeah. That wasn't bad. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. You know, it wasn't bad. But what, but what was it? What was it? Well, it wasn't bad. You know. Um, it, it, we, we are inundated, we are surrounded by, we are affected on a daily basis by this influence in our lives that, that we can no otherwise really identify it except by culture. You, you have the Olympics here and you, know, you have all these countries that come together and when, when a country wins the gold medal and their flag is being raised and their national anthem that nobody else knows, nobody else knows your particular anthem, you know, he's like, what is that sound? What is that noise? That's, that's the national anthem of whatever country. Really? That's their national anthem? And they're like, (laughs) that's culture. That something brought you together. Something is, is, is adhering you as a people that has been in your environment. Whether you realize it or not, culture is, is affecting you. It's, it's, it's an influence that is at work even beyond, uh, maybe, maybe permission. It's just from simply Standing. Searching this rugged area the size of Wales, finally some kind of reward. As behind me, these soldiers gather and burn huge piles of coca leaves and marijuana. <laughs> the drug barons themselves <laughs> may have escaped the net this time, but their evil wares have not. And And I think you better cut there. <laughs> Behind me, the smoke. Soldiers burning drugs. There. Soldiers. Behind me. Behind me, soldiers. Rugged soldiers. The size of whales. <laughs> burning drugs. Painstakingly. 
Behind me, painstaking barons burning wee drug soldiers in huge piles of whale nets. Oh. Alright, that's the one, Jerry. Hey! Let's go for a curry. We are all under the influence of, of culture. And, and culture is this thing that, that, that we all agree is important. We all agree on certain things are important. And that's really what brings us together is that there is a, a simultaneous agreement, if you will, a, a collective agreement about, about what, what should be or should not be happening. What it is that we, that we, we will protect in our midst, that we, will, that we will reject and push away, what we will uh, accept into our environment, what we, will, what we will remove from being a part of, of what it is that we're doing. It's, it is collectively what we get happy about, what we get sad about, what we get angry about. There are just certain things that, that move us as a whole people, and that something is culture. Now, what, what, I'm, what I'm not talking about is taking Christianity and bringing it into our culture. What I'm talking about is recognize, cultivating, facilitating kingdom culture in our countries. And kingdom culture actually will war against, it will, um, it will compete with our governing culture. It will, our, our native culture. There's, a, there's, there's something happening in the earth today that is drawing us together. The kingdom is invading the earth, so to speak. It is more present, more active than maybe any time in world history. And as a result, I just want you to, to pay attention to the momentum that you're partnering with and, and what it is that you're, you're generating inside of your life, inside of your thoughts, inside of your, your core values. Uh, the way Jesus puts it is this. He says that, that what's happening inside of you is going to show up in how you talk. It's going to show up in what you talk about. It, it's going to show up in, and everybody's going to be able to see it all around you. Your culture is at work in here. Now, you are, you are, there's a competition between what's happening out there and what's happening in here. The momentum that you create on the inside will happen outside. The culture that you have inside of you, you will reproduce around you. That's true for everyone. It's true for those who are cultivating good stuff on the inside, the kingdom on the inside. It's also true for folks that are cultivating a destructive culture. It, it happens around you. It's, it's not something that you can prevent from happening. But then when you collectively begin to pull these things together, when you collectively begin to agree together about what is important what are we going to what are we going to adhere to what are we going to uh, push on to see happen more and more that's where it begins to build an, a corporate momentum and that's what's happening what is the kingdom culture? What, what is it that is so important that we grab onto? What is it that is so important that we pull into the way we do life today? Well, one of the things that is vitally important is, is how you see yourself, how you see you, and how you see God, and how you see God seeing you. Because it changes the way you happen in the world. It changes if, if you see God a certain way, it, it will affect everything that you do. When you look in your Father's eyes, if you even can, it will, it will affect the way that you behave on the earth. And so it's, it's, 
it's important that you that you have a practice in your life of breathing life in. How many of you know who Steve Backlin is? Is Steve Backlin? Steve Backlin is, you know, Mr. Declaration. He's, he's making he's making faith-filled declaration after faith-filled declaration. I, I think that this little girl Jessica must be one of his his grandchildren or something. Look, I can be a shark now. My whole house is great. I can do anything good. I like my school. I like anything. I like my dad. I like my cousins. I like my aunts. I like my Allisons. I like my mom. I like my sisters. I like my dad. I can do anything good, better than anyone. I mean, there's a little confidence builder there that day. See, what's important is that that we identify some some truths about who God is and how he how he lives in us. Because as we do, we will begin to cultivate that momentum, and it will begin to happen on the outside. One of the keys being that we start with believing that. God is good. God is good all the time. He's always good. Always, always, always good. This, this is vitally important because sometimes things do not go according to your plan. Have you noticed that? Every once in a while, things did not. That prayer that you prayed didn't come out the way you prayed it. And you're kind of left looking at what just happened. Because that should have happened. I prayed it. I prayed a prayer. I fully expected that to happen. didn't happen. Which leaves me with this revelation. And it's a painful revelation. It's kind of it's difficult to grab onto sometimes. But the revelation is this. I am not God. You know, for, I don't know why that's so shocking sometimes, but when we discover that we are not God, the next step we make is we judge Him. Because if I was God, that wouldn't have happened. And because it did, you must not care as much as I do. You must not love as well as I do. You must be against me. That means I'm against you. See, this this thought process happens kinda kinda sneaky. Kinda sneaky. But before you realize it, you're standing over here protecting yourself from God. The only one who really can help you when you need help. You've now decided is not good. And guess who loves it when you get that perspective going? The one who would love to help you be destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. See, so one of the things I have got to anchor in my identity is that my father is good always. He's always good. Doesn't matter what just happened. Doesn't matter what just happened. Some terrible, nasty, blow up my life thing happened. And I have to come back to God is good all the time. And now I begin to make decisions from here. And it's in that identity and it's in that truth that I realize and I cultivate that God is good all the time and nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible. Absolutely nothing is impossible. Which now changes the way I look at every obstacle that has 
crept up in my life, I now have a hope and a power as I face those things. And what Jesus has done is complete, lacking nothing, which means there's nothing I can do to get love, God to love me anymore, and there's nothing I can do to get Him to love me any less. Jesus has completely reconciled me to the Father, and as a result, everything that the Father wants for me is available to me. And part of what He has made available to me is this. He has called me to live a great life. He has called me to live a great destiny. Think about it. How many of you want your children to grow up to be losers? Okay. How many of you want your children to grow up to be nothing? Right. Your daddy, who is the king of glory, has made you and I the hope of glory on the earth. You are the hope of glory. Not the hope of Bible knowledge. You're not the hope of Bible knowledge to the world. Go into all the world and show them how much you know about the Bible. Now, see, you are the hope of glory, which means that you're living a glorious life in God. And then when people come around you, they go, what is that? What is that radiating about your life? What is that thing that is glowing? What is, where are all these victories coming? Where is all this blessing coming from? What, what is that? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Where, where is this coming from? You're like, ah, it's pretty awesome being in the family. See, that, that is our destination. That is our destiny, that we would live a glorious life out loud to the point to where people will be actually be drawn to it. What is that glorious life? Is that coming from you? It is coming from me, but I'm plugged in. Wow. See, because life is, is, is brief. It's brief, but powerful. And, Everybody you cross paths with, they need something from you. They need something from you to understand how to face the obstacles in life. Because when you are called to live a great life, I mean, everybody knows it. Everybody knows they've been called to live a great life. So what do we do? We go to the movie and we pay to watch somebody else live a great life. (laughs) So inspired by your great life. I'm going back to my frumpy life. It's in there. It's in every person. That's why theaters and movies and TV about greatness happening in people's lives, that's why it's packed out. That's why it's packed out. I I just cry. I just cry when I see somebody's great life happening. I'm just like, what is that? It's my great life trying to come out. Come out through my tear ducts. You know that you were called to live a great life. But we hit these obstacles. We hit hit this resistance. And we shrink back. And we need people around us that are saying, Go get it! Come on! Oh, you're not just going to walk away and give up. Stuck it. You can get that. That's yours. Nobody else. Get in there and give it some heat. Give it some heat! paths with you, it should be the most encouraging experience of their life. That you know, you know what it takes to break through the obstacles because you've done it. And you know how important it is to pass on that courage, to 
take off a piece of your life and to, and to hand it to him. My wife worked in uh, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry for seven years. And I remember one day she came home, she goes, that is the most encouraging place in the world. I said, well, what do you mean? She says, oh, you know, this, this, this gal, who, who, who's, she's from Ohio. She's never had a microphone in her life before. She, she gets up in front of the school of ministry, and she says, uh, 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 well, we're, we're having a yard sale today. And the place goes crazy. Yeah! It's going to be the greatest yard sale ever! We release prosperity to your yard sale! Millions and millions and millions of dollars to your yard sale! And it happens every day. Every day, that's life in there. It's, it's all about giving courage to one another. And it's in this, this commitment, it's in this paradigm of giving courage that we, that we create a prophetic culture. See, a prophetic culture and a prophetic ministry are different. A prophetic ministry generally involves a microphone and somebody who has a special style. But a prophetic culture, prophetic culture is you can, you, can, you can cut the environment anywhere you want and it, it leaks encouragement. We, we do a lot of um, schools and trainings at Bethel Church. And uh, one, one day we, we had this, this meeting. It's three days long. It starts at nine in the morning. And this man walks in. He's the first one there. He walks in. He goes, this is the most encouraging place I've ever been to in my life. And I'm thinking, man, this hasn't even started yet. I'm not even sure what he's talking about. I said, what happened? He said, I, I, I pulled in the, gar- the parking lot. I got out of my car. And this guy walks up to me and he says, excuse me. Excuse me. I don't know if you realize it or not. But there's an angel on your car. It's a huge warring angel. And that just means that you are protected. You and your family and your lineage are protected. He goes, Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And he goes and he gets in line to get a cup of coffee. And he's standing in the line. And somebody taps him on the back. And they say, excuse me, I don't know. um, I just see the color green all over you. And that means prosperity and health and, and, and healing. And so I don't know if you need healing or if you need prosperity. But I just bless you in Jesus' name. He's like. Thank you. Thank you. And while he's facing this way, the person in front of him taps him on the shoulder. He turns around. They said, I don't know what it is, but I see gold, gold glory. I just see glory all over you. I just want you, I want you to know that the glory of the Lord is your rear guard. I don't know if that means anything to you or not. He's like. <laughs> he walks in with his cup of coffee. He's like. This is the most encouraging place I've ever been in my life. (laughs) That's a prophetic culture. Nobody's orchestrating any of that. That's happening because people have agreed, I want you to have courage for for your destination. Your destination, your destiny is great. And whatever I might add to your courage, to the to the momentum of your life, I want to do that. And it requires a safe place, that we would, we would create a safe place, a place where we can be known, a place where we can, where we can trust, a place where we can be vulnerable, a place where we can, where we can belong, where we can, you know, we can, we can experience love. We can fail if we need to on the path of, of and the way we handle correcting one another, the way we handle encouraging each other, the way we handle life together. All these things create a place where we are lowering the anxiety to bond heart to heart with each other. And we have a great value for risk. I'm I'm supporting you. I'm encouraging you. I'm doing everything I know to set you up to take a risk. I want you to try. I want you to try this stuff. I know you read your Bible. I, we read our Bible. We read my Bible. I read my Bible. I read my Bible. I read my Bible. And then I read it some more. And then the next day I read my Bible. I read my Bible every day. 
read my Bible every day. And then I gather people around and I teach them what I read. And then I encourage them to do the same thing. Go read your Bible. Go read your Bible. That's awesome. Did you do it? Did you do your Bible? No, I read it. See, there's a difference. I need you to do it. We need everybody to do it. Well, that would require risk. And the main thing about being a Christian is being right. (laughs) If you do something wrong, that means you're not right. So the only thing we ever do is the same thing we've always done. That way we're never wrong. That way we're always right. And that way you are bored out of your skull. And you're probably the most boring person to be around. And so it requires that we begin to step out of what we've always done and we actually begin to do what we see, what we read about Jesus doing. But it requires sometimes that you look a little strange. create an environment that is that is rewarded risk is rewarded not caution so many times we we begin to build an, an environment around the fear of being wrong and so instead we fill our our environment with risk i mean the time that Jesus spends with his disciples is all about teaching them to risk. And they do. And Peter's among the leader of the risk takers, you know. Aren't you glad they left Peter's story in the Bible? You know, it's like, it's like I'm so glad it wasn't this nice, tidy little thing where everybody got everything right all the time. As a matter of fact, if you look at Jesus' leadership team, you think, I don't think Jesus could lead a leader, write, write a leadership book, you know. Because because he ended up with the twelve stooges, right? Like this is this is kind of crazy. You got a guy who uh, the you spent three years. He's been three years in your school. You think he's have some stuff going on, you know? And um, the night, the day before, they're going to haul Jesus to the cross. Peter pulls out his sword and swap knocks off a guy's ear. So he's either a really bad shot or he's going after kind of a non-vital organ. Either way, you can just see Jesus like, come here, come here. There you go. Probably going to itch a little bit, but it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Give me that sword. What are you doing? Why did you give us a sword? Why did you give us a sword if we can't cut people's ears off? (laughs) Risk is highly desired. It's highly desired because it creates a testimony culture. Because when you risk and it happens... Like, oh my gosh, it happened. Let me tell you about it. There's lots of times when when you risk and it doesn't happen, but that's what makes it a risk. I remember one time Lance Jacobs in our our environment, he's one of our outreach pastors. He was preaching on a Friday night and he 
there's a man in a wheelchair right in the center aisle, right in front of him. So as he's preaching about signs and wonders and miracles, he keeps looking at this man who's sitting in a wheelchair. So finally, in the middle of his preach, he gets down, he steps down, he walks over, and he grabs this man. He says, in the name of Jesus, get up. And he picks him up, and then they fall over backwards. And now this paralyzed man is laying on top of Lance, and Lance's microphone is still on. He's laying there going, oh, oh, okay, okay, come on. The man says, I can't get up either. (laughs) So somebody picks him up, puts him back in the wheelchair, and Lance gets up and finishes sermon about the supernatural power of God. (laughs) And afterwards, he goes down and he says, I am so sorry. And the man says, don't you ever apologize to me about trying to get me out of this wheelchair. Like, yeah. See, it's, it's, it's the risk that leads to the release of heaven. But you're not God. I'm not God. That's the scary part. That's the tricky part. Because if I were God, I'd, I'd, it'd work every time. But sometimes I could be laying there on my back with a paralyzed man laying on top of me. But the culture of heaven is to trust God. Trust the Father. Trust the Father and then share the testimony. Share what it is that you're doing. Not what you read. I don't care what you read. I don't care anymore what you read. I got this amazing revelation of what I read. Awesome. What did you do? I was going to read some more. Right. Do or do not. There is no read. That doesn't matter. That's for those of you yesterday. I was in Colorado a while back, and there's a a woman. She came up to me. She said, we did your uh, your Defining the Relationship premarital course. I said, oh, well, that's fun. She says, yeah, yeah. uh, The week before we got married, my husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I said, oh, wow. She said, we we, we got married, and a couple weeks after... He started having breathing problems. So he went back in for some more tests. And they said it's, it's because the uh, brain, the tumor is wrapped around the brain stem. And if that's the case, we won't be able to remove it. We won't be able to operate on it. And so he, because his lungs start to shut down as a result of this tumor. So the doctor says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to look in there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open him up. I'm going to go in and look. And so this woman and her, her, her family and their church, they, be, they go to prayer. And the guy goes into surgery, and there, there's a group of them in the, the waiting room. And the doctor comes out, and he's, he's, you know, he's, he's got his head down. He's walking towards them. And uh, he asks them to go into a, a separate room, at which time they expect to hear the worst. And he has him in this separate room, and he says, um, I, I opened up your husband. I, I could see that the tumor was completely wrapped around his brainstem. It was right then that I had this thought, there is absolutely nothing I can do to help this young man. He's going to die. He says, as I had those thoughts, the brain tumor began to unwrap from his brainstem, moved up on top of the incision, I picked up the tumor and I put it in the pan. (laughs) What's impossible now? Nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. And... That's what we release into, into our environment is the, is the testimony of the power of God at work. The power of God is unlimited. And we expect that. We expect to live in the unlimited power of God as His kingdom comes. But there is this force. There is this, there is this lying demon that says... But what if it doesn't work? What are people going to think if you fail? 
You better go read your Bible again. You better just stay in church and read your Bible. Because what if it doesn't work? What will people say? What will people say about you? What will people think about you? Well, I don't know where we get this idea that everybody already thinks we're amazing. (laughs) See, there's lots of people that don't like you already. (laughs) There's already people saying bad stuff about you. Already. So you aren't protecting anything. (laughs) I have a friend who is a a pastor in in, uh, Latin America. And he Skypes me one day and and he says... uh, I'm, 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 uh, I'm so discouraged. I'm so discouraged and I'm going to quit the ministry. I'm going to go into sales, which is what pastors do when they leave the <laughs> ministry. They go sell cars and stuff, insurance. And uh, I said, what, what, wait, wait a second. You, you have a, a, a school of ministry. You have a school of supernatural ministry. What, what do you mean you're going to quit? You, you, you know, you're pumping revivalists into your community. What, what are you talking about? He says, oh, I'm just, I just, I'm so, so discouraged and so depressed. And I said, hey, hey, when was the last time you did a, a treasure hunt? You guys know what a treasure hunt is? Treasure hunts, you know, you write down, you just pray, say, Lord, show me some stuff. And so he writes down places and names and what people look like and different, and then you start looking for them. And then all of a sudden you find Bob with a red hat in the mall. Is your name Bob? No, it's Robert. Close enough, we're going with it. <laughs> and then you pr- prophesy or you pray for some something. They need healing or whatever they need. You just, you just found them. You're God's treasure. So, you know, you, this is a, a fun way to release the kingdom in your community that's a pretty, you know, it, it, it's, it's a pretty creative way of doing it. Kevin, Kevin Dedman wrote a book called The Ultimate Treasure Hunt, if you haven't read it. Anyway, he said, hey, when's the last time you did a treasure hunt? He goes, Oh, gosh, I don't know. It's been probably a year and a half. I said, all right, I do not want to see your face on Skype again until you have done a week's worth of treasure hunting. What? Goodbye. Click. (laughs) So a couple weeks later, he Skypes me. He emails me. Would it be all right if you see my face again? (laughs) I said, sure. So we're Skyping. He says, my church is amazing. I'm changing the community. This is the most awesome day in the world. Oh, you know what God did? You know what he did. Let me tell you what happened. And he's got a whole line of testimonies. Why? Why? Because he's practicing, practicing, practicing this stuff. He's out doing the stuff. See, this is what, this is what builds that momentum is you're practicing this, practicing this stuff. You can't, you can't hide the stuff and then expect it to just squirt out of you it doesn't work that way you have to go get it you have to practice you have to you need the courage this is what you need the courage for you need the courage to power through the fear of man and get out there and do the stuff a release of prophetic the prophetic's the easiest you're a wonderful person god really loves you i'm waiting for something else i hope something else comes but in the meantime you look great in blue Wait a minute, you got blue. Blue is the color of revelation. I just see revelation coming to you. I mean, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. It's not that hard. It's just practice. It's just stepping into the kingdom, practicing the culture, joining with the rest of the culture to believe and to know this is really important stuff that we're doing here. All right? And we have to remember this is not about us. What we're doing is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about my family. It's not about my family name. It's not about, it's not about Eastgate. It's not about whatever town we're in. Are we in Kent still? Are we? We're in Kent. We drive all over the place. We just drive and drive and drive. You know, it's not about, it's not about England. It's not about the UK. It's not about Europe. It's, it's about something much bigger. Much bigger. And we, it's our job to do our part. It's my job to do a good job doing my part. 1980, the U.S. Olympic hockey team beat the Russians. 
That was when California found out we had a hockey team in the Olympics. We have no ice. We didn't know about hockey, really. Nobody plays hockey in California. But we were all chanting, USA, USA. We're so excited. It was such an amazing time in our Olympic history. And the, the coach, Herb Brown, I think is his name, He's got the tough job of gathering a, a, a group of, of amateur college hockey players. And he has to make a team out of the very best of each team. Unfortunately, the very best of each team hates the very best of the other team, right? And so they're, they're, they're completely about their team. So I'm from the Minnesota Gophers. Yeah, I'm a Minnesota Gopher. My name is so and such, and, I go, and I'm from Minnesota. I'm part of the Gophers. And like, oh, yeah, the ferocious Gophers. You know what a Gopher is? You know, they, they eat dirt under your lawn. That's what they do. Like, how did you end up with a Gopher as a whatever? So, oh, I'm from, the, I'm from Massachusetts. Whatever's something cold. And, you know, and so, so he's got all these guys. And the way that they greet each other is they punch each other in the face because that's what hockey is. You skate around until you can hit somebody in the face. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of a brutal sport. That's, you know, whatever. So this is what he's got on his hands. He's got all these hockey players that are fighting with each other and they're just playing for their college. And he's trying to make a team out of them. Well, they've just tied the Swedes in the Olympic trials, and he is not happy. So he's got them skating sprints after a full game. He is trying to get through to these guys, and he's scaring the doctor. He's scaring his assistant coach. He thinks, you know, they think he's going to kill him, and he may. He's, like, so frustrated with them. This cannot be a team of common men. Because common men go nowhere. You have to be uncommon. Again. Herb, this has gone on long enough. Everybody on that line. Somebody's going to get hurt. Everybody get on that line. Hey. Again. Again. Come on, Craig. Go to us. Again. Michael Ruzioni. Through Massachusetts. Who do you play for? I play for the United States of America. That's all, gentlemen. That's what needs to stay on our minds as we, as we reach the world around us because there's a whole bunch of people out there that don't agree with us. There's a whole bunch of people out there that don't remind us of us. And so what we classically do as Christians is we tend to, we tend to surround ourselves with ourselves in the name of love. We tend to surround ourselves with people who agree with us. We tend to surround ourselves with people who say what we want to hear. And we contain ourselves to this safe little bubble. But that's really not what we're here for. We're actually here to export our culture to impact a world. And it's not we're, we're, we're exporting our church or exporting our, our particular brand of, of theology. We are exporting a culture. We are, we are giving people, regardless if they agree with us, regardless if they ever come to our church, regardless if they pray the prayer, 
We are exporting a culture that gives them an encounter with heaven. That's what we're doing. And we're passing it on to our children's children. We are, we are living to impact a community and a generation that we may never even meet. That's what we're living towards. We're living towards pointing our life with such purpose that when I wake up in the morning, I know why I got out of bed today. I know why I got out of bed. I got out of bed to happen today. I got out of bed to happen. And everybody in this room has been called to happen according to how you were designed. You didn't get out of bed today to pay the bills. If you did, go back to bed. You got out of bed today to happen, to export a culture to the surroundings around you, to, to build a momentum of that, of that culture inside of you so that it would impact not only you, but a generation you'll never meet. And then you want to make disciples. You want to teach other people to do the same thing. To, to, to rise up, not and be you, rise up and be them. I need you to happen. We all need you to happen. That's, that's the spirit of resurrection alive in you. That you would rise up and that you would happen according to who you were called to be. These are the things that we're paying attention to in how we affect the world around us. This is what, this is what I cultivate inside of me. And as I do, it begins to happen around me. And as it begins to happen around you and around me, we build a momentum. We build a momentum to create the most powerful gift you can give to your community. And that is your culture. The greatest gift that you have is the momentum of your culture. As a young man growing up in in Weaverville, California, a a community of 3,500 people, the wealthy people in our community had above-ground swimming pools. We call them doughboy pools. Do you have something like that here? Or you just wait for it to rain? <laughs> we, we have these above-ground swimming pools. And, um, and, you know, and when you're a kid, the water comes up to here, right? And then, and then it's deeper in the middle. So the shallow end's around the edge of the pool. It's in a circle. And the deep end is in the middle. And... You know, when we, we get done playing with the toys, pretty soon somebody starts walking around the outside edge of the pool, you know. But we're, we're skinny. We're little skinny children, you know. So, so it's kind of hard to get this water moving. So you put your arms out like you're big and you start, you know, you start walking, but the water's pushing against you and, and you get this, you, get, you just got all this resistance and you're pushing against this water, you're pushing against this water and your friend's doing it and you have two friends in the pool and they're pushing against this water and you're, you're trying to, trying to get the water to move, but the water's just sitting there. And you're, you're slicing through the water, but you keep doing it. You don't give up. You just keep doing it, keep doing it. And pretty soon, you can see some of the toys on the surface starting to move. It's moving. It's moving. We're winning. We're winning. And so now you're kind of, you're kind of jogging in the water around the edge, and pretty soon, you have the waters moving. And now the water is building a current. The current. Now a current in a pool. And you're, now you're moving. As you move, it's actually, it's, it, you, you kind of feel the current picking you up. It's spots. You're moving. And this is good. This is what we're doing. This is exactly what we're trying to do. And at some point, you can pick up your feet. And the water will carry you along. The water will carry you along. The water will do the work. When you put your feet back down, you push, you push, you push. And then some neighbor kid comes over and goes, what are you doing? And they jump in your current and they get carried along. They just get carried along. This is you. This is where you are. This is what you're doing. You are pushing on the culture and you're, and you're building momentum. You're building a current. You're building a force. And when people come along, they go, 
What's happening? Hey, this is cool. Look at that. Hey, that lady's head just grew back on. That's awesome. Wow. How come I feel so happy? What is this feeling I have? It's kingdom culture. You're welcome. (laughs) Now put your feet down and push. But we have to know what to push on. We have to know what it is that 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 we value so much. What it is that's helping us to build a momentum enough to be able to carry it and export it everywhere we go. The greatest gift that you have to give is the culture that you are building together that represents the the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together. Happy Easter. That wasn't much of an Easter message, but it is. If you look for it, it is. Put your hand on somebody next to you. Just pray for their momentum. Just pray for their internal kingdom momentum to accelerate. Pray for there to be great strength to the kingdom of heaven happening in their own heart, their own mind. In other words, pray, push, push, push. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come. For your will to be done in each one of us here on earth. And collectively, Lord, we pray for increased momentum in the UK. We thank you for the momentum in this country. We thank you for what you're doing here at Eastgate, North Kent. And we pray for it to increase and to touch this entire community that you would be glorified. Thank you, Lord. Amen.